Hello and welcome to the Inner Work Conversation. I'm Nikki Cross and in today's episode I am talking about owning what you want, which sounds way simpler than it actually can be. Sometimes when we go to own what we want, our fear thoughts can roar so fucking loud that it can sometimes feel easier to not own what we want and as in not take ownership of it, almost detach from it. Like we don't really have control or influence over it because it feels easier than owning that what we do actually want. And I see this a lot when people sort of first come into my world. So consultation calls or at the beginning of people's one-to-one journey, it can even look like they've completely detached from what they want because they're so stuck in what they don't. And it can sound like, well, I just don't know. I just feel a bit lost. I don't know what I want anymore. And again, a lot of the time that is because to not know seems easier than admitting that we do actually know because it feels too out of reach or it feels like if I admit it, I'm just going to be disappointed. So what's the point in allowing myself to connect to it? And so I thought I'd bring this episode to the inner work conversation. Owning what you want is not the easy route. It's really not. And like I say, I've got a lot of experience of people in this place, it's normally at the beginning when we're on a consultation call because part of my job is defining what you want. And that sounds like, you know, it's going to be, well, I just want a consistent X amount of revenue in my business a month, or I just wish that I could show up authentically in my business. And yeah, they are parts of what people want, but what they want goes deeper than that. And it normally involves their inner world People will say to me, you know, I just want to be able to be me in my business without feeling apologetic for it. I just want to feel like I'm not battling against myself all of the time. It's yes, they want the outer stuff, but really what they really want is the inner stuff. And part of my job is to define that and then to uphold it throughout my client's journey with me. It's defining it in their inner world and in my client's outer world, what they want to be, do and have, and then upholding that throughout their experience with me. It's like one of my clients said to me the other day, it's almost like me and you are on my team and we're defending what I want against myself who wants to sabotage what I want. And it sounds sounds so fucking bonkers when you put it like that, but it's true. A lot of the time, my clients, they we work together to define what they want and we've got to get them out of their own way, um, both proactively and in retrospect. Like, actually stop them from getting in their own way from getting that. It sounds bonkers, but it'll make sense throughout this episode. So today, (laughs) what I want to talk to you about is what's going on in that inner world of yours, specifically when it comes to things that you want and the things that you don't dare to even admit to yourself that you want. And on that note, admitting what you want is a big fucking deal. It really is. Most of us. And This applies to the big things and also the little things like what you want for dinner. And as we progress and as we go through life, most of us, we do hide what we want from ourselves and it shows. But once you see it and once you meet it and once you feel it, it's very difficult to unsee. And a bit of a side note here that I want to mention, but I don't want to base the episode on, but it is worth a couple of minutes out of this episode to mention is I believe that when you take ownership of what you want, it is also true that you are also taking ownership of what having what you want will cost you. 
And I believe this is normal. And I believe that we should normalize it and make peace with it so that we can go after what we want to be, do or have. And when we go after actualizing that into our world, we aren't doing so with as much resistance. Because I believe that when we don't own that going after what we want to be, do and have comes with costs, it can, we can almost, um, not normalize these costs and therefore spend a lot of time and energy resisting them. So there's costs to going after what you want. There's emotional costs. Stepping into a new identity can bring so much discomfort. I remember, so I know this is a really weird example, but I'm going to go there. I remember um, I'm someone who with the meal, like whatever meal I'm having, I don't like to drink cold water. Like I don't drink, I don't like cold drinks. I like a warm drink. If I'm going to have a drink with my meal, I like it to be a warm drink, right? <laughs> so it's actually, there's a big part of me that doesn't want to inconvenience anyone. Like there's a big part of my conditioning that feels like I just don't want to inconvenience anyone. And so it's easier for me to be in a restaurant and accept the cold glass of water. And I don't want to seem weird and I am weird and I am an inconvenience. We all are weird and an inconvenience when we ask for, for what we really want. We actually are. And so when I'm in a restaurant and they give me a glass of water and I say, can I have a, a cup of boiled water, please? That can seem weird and that can seem like an inconvenience, but it's the same at home. I might say to the boys, thanks for making me dinner. Can I have some boiled water with that, please? I'm asking them to go and put the kettle on when we're about to sit and have dinner. And there was a long time where I wouldn't own that. And if I did own it, I'd do it myself. Like I wouldn't want to put anyone out. I'd do it myself. So that's my point. Emotionally, we have to acknowledge that there are costs. There's like a tax to pay on owning what you want. And it's going to be the emotional discomfort of what comes with owning what you want. So it was emotionally uncomfortable for me to feel like I was putting other people out. And what I discovered when I sat with that discomfort of putting people out by making me a warm drink was people didn't mind doing it at all. People were happy to do it. People were interested. People, <laughs> it wasn't a bad thing at all, but it was uncomfortable to go through. Does this make sense? And there's other costs to admitting and going after and creating what you want. They could be financial. So I'll give you another example. When I quit my job and, you know, decided that actually there's no job that I can find that enables me to do the work that I really want to do. And therefore I am going to create that, but that is going to mean sacrificing my full-time job where I get a really good pay. I get working conditions, holidays. I get a boss that's really understanding and lets me and coaches me for free. <laughs> you know, I had to pay the financial costs of that. I had to take a pay cut. I had to invest my time into what I wanted, just like you would. If you, if you needed to admit to yourself that you wanted to be the best guitarist in the UK, there's a cost to that investment. Don't ignore these costs by ignoring them as they pop up along the way, you're going to think that they are not normal and you're going to resist them or you're going to resent them. And that's going to slow you down. And the last thing to mention here before I actually dive into the main content on this episode is there's also a cost in your relationships to owning what you want. Sometimes in your relationships, when you own what you want, other people have benefited from you not owning what you want. Let me say that again. Other people have benefited from you not owning what you want. So let's say I, I lived with a husband and a son who 
you know, were just moan moany asses. And when I asked for my boiling water with my meal, they were like, oh, for fuck's sake. They've benefited all this time from me not owning what I want by not having to make me a boiling water with my dinner. And some people, that's the thing. When you own what you want, some people aren't going to like it. And some people aren't going to get it. And some people are going to think it's a bit wanky. I I can relate to all three of those points. When I owned what I wanted, some people around me that deeply, deeply cared about me, they didn't want me to quit my job. They wanted me to stay in the safety of employment. And that's not because they wanted to control me. That's because they have a map and a view of the world that employment is safe, like employment is safety and self-employment is not. And they wanted to try and keep me safe based on their map of the world. And that was their way to do so, to discourage me from quitting my job. That's what, that's my point. When you own what you want, some people won't like it. Some people won't get it. So as an example, my dad, rest in peace, he, when I used to say to him what I did, he was like, people pay you for that? What? And he didn't think it was a real job. And he wasn't being mean. He was just someone who grew up, grew up professionally working on the docks in Birkenhead and Liverpool, he worked on the docks doing very manual labor. So he doesn't really understand. He didn't really understand my job. And that's the point. Some people won't get it. And that could have really dissuaded me in that time. Like, oh my God, like people around me don't really get it. Does that mean that when I go out there and try and build a business based on this, that people aren't going to get it? You can really see how some of these things can stop you from going after what you want. When you look around and go, but people don't get it. You assume that everyone isn't going to get it. And what you you what you what take from yourself and from others is not stepping into that. I would have, if I hadn't have gone for it, I would have taken from myself this experience of stepping into what I truly, truly do in this world, like what I believe my purpose is in terms of my work. And also I would have held back from working with the people that I've worked with and giving them the gift of my work. Do you see? And then the last point, some people will think it's wanky. Some people did think it was wanky. When I started going on Instagram and and putting content out there, when I started recording podcasts, people in my life would pro like would actually say to me, oh, well, you know, there's you, the positivity like thing, the expert, positivity expert. And they just didn't get it. And or they'd be like, oh my God, I don't know how you go online and like do these things with these videos. Oh my God, I could never do that. And people are going to think it's wanky and you have to create the norm. You have to normalize that so that you don't start thinking that that it's wanky, <laughs> you know? And my belief anyway, that, that that was just a side note to this episode. My belief is, like I said, I think we should normalize these things. I should we make think we should make peace with these things so that as we're going after what we want, we're not constantly battling with these things and pretending like to ourselves that they shouldn't be there. We should normalize them because I believe that, yes, these are all costs to you owning what you want, but once you've paid the price, it's like karma, it'll pay you. Once you accept that there may be emotional prices to pay, financial prices to pay, relationship changes prices to pay, I believe that once you accept that and make peace with it, it'll pay you back. And before I leave this point, I want to ask you, can you see when we go after what we want and we, when we normalize these, let's call them taxes, when we normalize that there's a price to pay, a tax to pay on what you want, it means that you're going after what you want with less tension, less friction, less resistance. Or you can just go after what you want, resisting all of those things and almost spending energy trying to make that not so when it is so. So 
just that was just a side note to this episode back to what I really want to talk about today which is owning what we want and why it's hard and how to truly take ownership of what you want because it really isn't the easy route the thing is what I see in my own client base is we all have ideas of what could be possible or even probable for us but we don't admit it even to ourselves that that could be real and I'm going to give you a personal example of this actually that's come up recently for me If you've listened to episode 175, that was the episode where I really owned out loud what I wanted, what I do in the world, what I do with my work, who I do it for, and what I wanted, like what I want for myself in my business. And one of the things I claimed out loud, if you've listened to that episode, do you remember me saying the bit where I said, I want to be sought after, I want to be held in such high regard by my client base that actually people are seeking me out because of recommendation. Well, soon after, and by the way, there is a conditioning within me that I am still unlearning to this day that sounds like people will only really recognize and want to work with me if I have given them enough value for them to see, for them to feel comfortable that that value is enough for them to feel like they can work with me. That might not make sense, but it, it does to me. And anyway, Soon after that episode, wouldn't you know, a week or so later, there's someone booking in a consultation with me to to work one-to-one with me who hasn't listened to this podcast, The Inner Work Conversation. They haven't ever seen my Instagram content. So both of those things are things that I've poured my efforts, energy, and attention into over the last three years. But there they are, having not heard one episode, seeking my work out because another client of mine had recommended me. And on the topic of today... My point here is, and that's not me gloating or boasting, that's me saying, when we take ownership of what we really want, what it can also do is blow your own um, beliefs that you treat as facts completely out of the water. So my belief that I've been raised with is, you know, you work harder and you be more valuable. It's like the work hard ethic that I've grown up with. This experience blew that right out of the water for me because none of my efforts in inverted commas had brought this person into my world it was my service to my other client my previous client that had brought them to me can you see once we own what we actually really want once we once we show that to ourselves and we allow ourselves to own it as in take ownership of it we can start seeing that it could be not just possible for us not just probable for us really actually true for us And previous to episode 175, I hadn't dared own that I wanted to be sought after. And even having owned that, I hadn't allowed myself to even think that this would mean that someone will book to work with me one-to-one without having first consumed my content, you know? So the point here in this episode is where are you not allowing yourself to own what you want? Not because it feels scary, but because it feels so fucking out of reach and the potential of being disappointed is so tr- so real in your mind that you don't even see what you really want, what you really desire. And I'm about to go into what it really takes to own what you want and teach you about some of the work that I do with my clients because best believe to own what you want and take ownership of it, you've got to therefore be able to sit with the discomfort of your inner fears roaring so loudly at you to get back in your box. So when I say owning what you want isn't the easy route. I want to tell you about a recent voice note exchange that I've actually transcribed 
so that I can read it out to you in this episode because it's what I said to one of my clients and it's true for all of my clients. And it's really changed the way that this person has perceived, actually changed their relationship with their fear thoughts that roar so loudly because that is typically what will happen. As soon as you allow yourself to acknowledge what you want, this is what it says. We have inner protective mechanisms. And although we want to be, do and have things, the moment we allow ourselves to acknowledge those things, you can guarantee that your inner protection team are going to activate to keep you safe in inverted commas. And just a note on that, safety, by the way, it's perceived safety. That's why I keep putting it in inverted commas because it's perceived safety. It's familiarity. It's certainty. So even though your current reality or current situation, you might not even like it, you might hate it in fact, but it might feel safer than stepping outside of it. So I ask my clients to imagine like a little toy army, you know, the little green plastic toy army characters. I ask them to imagine them. And I asked them to imagine like your inner protect protection team that activate, that are trying to keep you safe in inverted commas. I'll stop doing that. It's quite annoying, but you know what I mean? It's like they've got a lineup of little army people and your initial lineup, when you go to own what you want, your initial lineup of defense, your little initial lineup of green army plastic toy soldiers, they'll line up and they're the ones that keep you safe. And they're the ones that go, no, 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 no. That sounds lovely. You've just said what you want. That sounds lovely. But this is far too complicated for you. And there's too many moving parts. And you can't do this. Oh, you're confused. Now, left unchecked, you will believe that first line of defense. And you'll be like, oh, oh yeah, I'm confused. Um, uh, Yeah, I'm confused and I'm overwhelmed. And bam, they've done their job. Job done. Well done, first line of defense. You've put her back into safety. Stand down second line because the first line were effective enough in saying, no, 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 no. This is really complicated. There's too many moving parts. How are you going to navigate X, Y, Z, A, B, C? You can't do this. You're confused. You're overwhelmed. You've bought all of that and you've gone, yeah, I can't do it. I'm overwhelmed and I'm confused. Job done. Job done. First line of defense. Well done. Second line of defense. Stand down. But the thing is, when my clients are working with me, So my one-to-one clients, they'll get their one-to-one sessions every fortnight, which is your coaching calls, but you'll also get Voxer voice note support as well. And when my clients are working with me, this is the point where they'll start speaking these things out loud and they'll start saying, Nick, I'm, I'm at this point and this is coming up for me and they'll say their thoughts out loud. And on voice notes, they'll be talking this through with me and my job in this space isn't to pull them out of their discomfort. It's not to argue with those thoughts. We're not going to take those thoughts and be like, well, your first line of defense is wrong because of this, 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 this. Often my job is to allow it to be emotionally uncomfortable for my client and allow them to sit in the discomfort of that and allow them not just to accept that first thought of I'm confused, I'm overwhelmed and resign themselves to it but instead to sit with that discomfort and work through it. And that's what we do. And what we realize is actually, this is very normal. It's very normal that you're feeling overwhelmed because actually these are big things that are happening for you. It's very normal that it feels complicated because actually it sort of is. There's a lot of moving parts, but that, and it is different and it is unusual and we normalize it. And so once we realize all of that, Once we realize that actually this may well be something that's overwhelming and this may well be something that has many moving parts and can be a bit confusing, but that doesn't mean that you are overwhelmed and that doesn't mean that you are confused. 
And that doesn't mean that we can't take it step by step. And that doesn't mean that we can't literally like take a minute, take a pause, take a breath, take a beat. And that army, what I notice about my clients is that army steps back up and is like, fuck, right? First line of defense, you dickhead, you weren't strong enough, send in the second line of defense. And a second line of defense will come in and be like, oh, fucking hell, right, let's bring in the heavies, right? Who do you think you are? You can't do this. Don't get so big for your boots. The audacity in you wanting this. So what what seems to happen is once my clients be like, oh, okay, yeah, I see. I'm not overwhelmed and confused. I just, it is just an overwhelming thing because it's different and it's big and it's unusual. Ah, right, I get it. And they sort of get comfortable with that. The next line of defense will make them go, oh, but who am I to want this? Who am I to, this is a bit like, I shouldn't get too big for my boots really. So I should just like the audacity. And they will literally be saying to me, what their second line of defense is saying to them. It's like, get back in your box, get back in your box. And that's the benefit of the voice notes is speaking it out loud because you literally see the first line of defense get shut down. Second line of defense, right, let's pull out. And once we sort of work through that and my client, it's it's actually, we, we almost end up having a bit of a laugh about it because my client will start over time, this doesn't happen straight away, but my client will start recognizing these lines of defense that their inner protective team is bringing out. And they'll be like, fucking hell, now this one's coming out. And it can go on and on. Like, then they'll bring out the third line of defense, the big guns. The big guns are like less shouty and um, sneakier because they might they might put like a, a guilt trip on you and be like, do you know what? Like, come on. They, they'll cajole you and they'll negotiate with you. They'll be like, come on it's not really bad, the situation that you're in at the moment. Like, it's not that bad. Shouldn't you just be grateful for what you've got? Like, geez. And it sort of takes a different tone and a different personality. But again, we sort of, speaking it out loud means slowing all of this down. So it's not all seemingly happening in your brain, swirly, swirly, swirling round. But instead, what we're doing together is gently noticing the first line of defense said this, the second line of defense said that. And we're continually bringing you back to a place of sufficiency because we're recognizing that actually you are someone who can handle complexity even when it feels overwhelming. Actually, you are someone who is allowed to have a business model that you wanna have that works for you. You are someone that gets to do work that you wanna do and make money doing it that way, in a way that suits you. You are that person and it's okay and it's normal. And it's all right that all of these lines of defense are coming up and it's all right that it can feel like you're bargaining with yourself. It can feel like you're having this internal battle with yourself and it feels easier to give into those lines of defense. So can you see my job, I believe here, is to allow you to be in the discomfort of the change that comes with owning what you want. And in that allowing, it'll take you from, shit, I can't do this. All of these things are coming up and I'm just fill in the blank. I'm just overwhelmed. I'm just not worthy of this. I'm just confused. It'll take you from that to actually normalizing it and not making it mean anything other than this is just normal and I'm going to be experiencing these thoughts and it's normal that I am. What's my next step? Even if, by the way, that next step is just taking a pause. And what we're doing here is we're just learning the art and the skill of separating you as the observer of your thoughts. This is why people, by the way, this is why people who've worked with me in a coaching capacity, they'll come back to me even years later and hire me again for a couple of months of voice note support. And 
what they're essentially getting there is someone running with them so that they can verbally vomit all of this stuff out loud, be witnessed and have, they've learned how to do it themselves. But sometimes it's just so valuable to have someone hold that space for them and be the observer with them and help them to pull themselves back into the observer of their own thoughts instead of the thinker of their own thoughts only. And just see those lines of defense coming up and the conditioning coming up or whatever it is and see that all of this is just normal. It's normal. When you own what you want, this is why this episode is called Owning What You Want Isn't The Easy Route. Because a lot of the time we haven't learned the skills that come with owning what we want. It's to hold space to enable you to process. That's essentially what this is. It's processing when all the things are whizzing around in your head is to let them come out and magical shit can happen when you allow yourself and enable yourself to do that. And what I'm encouraging you to do in this episode is to own and acknowledge what you want for yourself. But what I'm also saying is, if you're gonna do that, if you're gonna acknowledge what you want and admit to yourself what you really want and own what you really want, as in take ownership of what you want, please also make space for those inner protective mechanisms, those little line up, those army characters that are gonna try and keep you safe. They'll be the ones with the objections to you being bold or doing something new or different or audacious or simply just unusual for you because left unchecked, they will operate covertly under the radar, but best believe they will run the show. They are the voices that throw out the blanket statements at you when you're going to step forth into the unknown, into claiming what you really want and dare let go of what you don't. They are the ones, they are the voices that will say things like, oh, this is too complicated for you. You're overwhelmed. You best stop. And But who are you? Who are you to want this? Don't you dare think that you can want this. You're not good enough to want this. People like you don't get things like that. And, well, yeah, but you haven't got time, have you? Like, you're really busy, so you probably haven't got time for all of this. No, 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 best just stick to how it is now. And different tactics, you'll have your own. They'll cajole you, they'll guilt you, they'll do all of the things. They'll take different forms. Some will be shouty and aggressive, some will be firm and stern, some will be guilt-trippy, some will be persuasive, but they're there. And my point here, before I wrap up this episode, is to say... This is not a job of getting rid of those voices. I actually believe that trying to get rid of those voices is a waste of energy. That's not the job. The job is to normalize them, to neutralize them, as in to turn the color down on them, to turn the volume down on them and to see them for what they really are. The job here as the observer of your thoughts is to gently notice them without letting them become you or overcome you. And a lot of what holds us back in business is that we are blinded by these voices. They wrap around us like pythons and they keep us not only from taking action, but further to that, more importantly, more impactfully, they don't just keep us from taking action. They make us believe that we can't. And the real benefit of the type of work that I do, particularly the voice note, like you've like you've experienced and heard in this episode, is speaking it out loud. When you do in that moment, you're literally letting yourself pour into a space where you know it's safe. You're not going to be judged. You're not going to be consoled. You're not going to be encouraged to, to try and think positively. But instead, you're going to be encouraged to speak what is true for you in that moment. What is going on? What is hard emotionally for you? And by osmosis, over time, you too will learn the art of observing yourself and your thoughts without then taking action from that place. The art of hearing yourself, hearing those lines of defense and choosing 
what your next steps are going to be as opposed to letting them overcome you and almost becoming you, you know? And ultimately you'll learn how to deal with them and maintain building your identity that's separate from your lines of defense. That is actually who you truly are, which is what I believe is the person who can get and have and be what they want. That's who you really are. So I hope this episode is served in a couple of ways. I think the first thing is if you've been listening to this episode wondering about what my work really is, hopefully you've got a deeper insight into that. And hopefully this has given you the kick up the arse to book in your consultation call and come and do this work with me. But I also hope that this episode has helped you to realize why it can be so difficult to own what you want, why owning what you want isn't the easy route and normalizing that, not making it like, oh, there's something wrong with you. You can't own what you want. No, actually, it's really fucking hard to own what you really want, even if it's as simple as having a hot drink with a meal. (laughs) you know? So all of that said, I really do hope in whatever capacity this has served you, please never forget. I am really am, really am always cheering you on. And I really do hope that you are cheering you on too.